Kia ora and welcome to Generally Famous. I'm Simon Bridges and every week I talk to generally famous but always interesting guests about life, love and what makes them tick. Today's guest is former cricketing great, successful Kiwi entrepreneur with skincare brand Triumph and Disaster, husband and father, Dion Nash. Hey, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me, Simon. Awesome to be here. Hey, now look, I'm not going to turn this into a tragic cricket podcast because there's actually a surprising number of those. But <laughs> but we but we let's start with cricket. Let's get it not get it out of the way, but get it out of the way. Um, 1992 to 2002. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, actually, the thing I thought about that is it's a long time ago. Yes. Yes, it is, and it, it increasingly feels so, but um, <laughs> it's weird, it, it, it does and it doesn't, it, it, it's, uh, it feels like another lifetime, but it also is right there always in the background. So, yeah. yeah, I think I can understand that, and if you were out right now playing um, in the latest T20 or something, would you be, how do you think you'd go? Yeah, so, uh, often you you ponder that, don't you? I, the best way I've ever been, I think, I, I went to a friend's wedding, one of my best mates, and he got married in Jamaica of all places, and his father introduced me as one of the best players of my generation. And I, I've pondered on that for a long time because I, I've often wondered how I should refer to, to, to where I was. And, that, and that's probably how I think sums it up the best, you know, like you are only part of your generation of cricketers, mm. not the ones that preceded you, not the ones that come after you. And so you can only play and be the best of that group. That's the environment that you're in, that's the nature of the game and the comp- and the teams that you play against. So I've always sort of thought that was the best way I've ever heard it referred to. You well, know? that sort of makes you sound a bit old. It does, <laughs> it does. But, but in terms of answering your question more around um, one of those better players in any generation, I think you always have that slight... Uh, feeling that you would have made it in whichever generation and you yes. would have just had to adjust to the nature of the game, the nature of the rules, the nature of the competition that was around you. And oh. I think I think the sort of the better players always would make it in each generation. And that applies not just to me, but to all of the players that end up being good I players. I presume you maybe not, because maybe you're out there doing stuff and going at it, but I presume you'd be a bit rusty, though. And, or, or yes, you, or? <laughs> definitely rusty now. Yeah. Yeah, no, hips are gone, um, and... But but also a bit of a will is gone, you know. Like yes. I, I, it, once you break, and I think that's the hardest thing. Like you know, once you break the connection, um, that the thing that I used to live and breathe, I could I could sniff out of game of cricket within about a hundred mile radius. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you could smell it. <laughs> it's just like uh, you know, certainly growing up, and now it's just one of those things where you know, if it's on the TV and I walk into the room, I'll stop and watch for a while. But I I would never now go and no, oh, the cricket's on. I must go and watch it. That's, no. that's not in my. Well, frame. I'm like, I mean, people find this somewhat hard to believe, but no, actually, this is my experience of most politicians. I, 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 I've not watched Parliament since. I mean, mm. I couldn't give a monkeys because I'm not yeah. there. Yeah, so who cares, <laughs> right? What's and but you know, and it's also just not like it's not that relevant to anything really, you know. Yes. Unless you sort of so, if someone's happened to be. If I'm flicking through the channels at 9.45 at night and there's still 15 minutes of parliament because it goes till 10 o'clock at night, I might stop and say, oh, yeah, yeah. she's great or he's a burke or, you Does know. Does your blood still boil in that 15 minutes? Oh, it can. <laughs> and, and, but, and I'm probably guilty of, oh, I would do that so much better. <laughs> yeah. that would be, I would just, that would be a real, I would. Um, but, and what about, though, with cricket, though, in terms of that time distance, 20 years, um, 
Is it a different game? What I mean is, like, if you take, um, say, tennis, I would have thought, or and you can tell I'm not an elite athlete or sports person, but or or, or um, track and field, they are quite different than they were, you know, I, back in the past. I, yeah, I would say cricket uh, of all of the sports has probably changed the most, and yep. that's the impact of T20. And also, I think, um, you know, the improvement around in technology around the wickets, the conditions that they play on, you know, we, you'd never get tired wickets now, and that's a specific cricket knowledge thing. But, like, basically, because you're playing on a turf wicket, the longer the game goes on, if that wicket is not really perfectly prepared, it will tire and it becomes harder and changes the nature of how you play on it. Yes. Um, and that has a huge impact on the game and the outcome of the game. Um, whereas now you've just got these really solid blocks of turf which don't change. They, in fact, they just get better really as the game goes on, which allows batters just to blast and play the game. Is that, does that, <clears throat> in a nostalgic sense, do you um, regret that because it takes I, away a sort of a, I think a feel and a skill and a mind aspect to it all? Some, yes, I do. But, but I would say there's a whole generational gap of Gen Zers maybe um, who just have never seen that side of it and so they don't even Dion understand looks it. knowingly around the room at everyone else in this room who wasn't born when he last played t- cricket, which is somewhat true. I don't know, it might be a bit. Actually, I think, oh, that I think is, they're is nodding. True. It is true. Isn't that amazing? But, um, yeah, it is. Um, but but I think, though, that so the, you've, you've got this very much this divide between now and then, pre-T20 and post, and there's probably a little people in the middle who remember both, and now you've got people who don't remember the, the old way. And so, like, I still, if I watch YouTube, I'll go and watch the West Indian bowlers of the 80s, you know, and the, the people I watched growing up, and Richard Hadley and Imran Khan and people like that, and that I still love that because that, to me, is cricket, how, how I loved it and fell in love with it. Watching guys blast T20, um, that's a whole nother game and it's a whole yes. nother group of people who have that fan to it. But to me, something has been taken away from the game, yeah. uh, something, some of the character perhaps. Um, but, you know, I, I'm clearly aware of how much of an old, you know. You're, you're like, mate, you're a traditionalist and I think um, on these things, and I'm not going to go on about politics, I promise you, but actually you'd be surprised in a way that same sort of phenomenon you're talking about has happened in politics. The way you go back, even when I first went to Parliament, which you know, was 2008, not, not that long ago, but people had to get up and give rowdy tub thumpers without notes because they were the rules, right? So the style, if you think about that, I'm nostalgic for that style. I think it's a great art, right? You know, this kind of, whereas today it's kind of everyone's got a piece of paper in front of them and it's, Yes, and that's in fact, if you so, I was feeling like a dinosaur by the end because I want to go in and raise the raise the roof of the place, right? And it's kind of like, and the new MPs are sort of sort of they're thinking a bit sort of squiffy at you, right? So it's, but it is what it is now. Yeah, no, and and and, you know that's the thing you can't change it, so you just I guess move into a realm of doing podcasts and you, like you, you exactly, exactly, <laughs> or exactly. where I'm going to shout at you because, no I'm not um, and uh, you I know actually I, th- I think I know I mean, you would say and this is a, the traditionalist kind of position as well that the test is test cricket is the, is the ultimate game and the rest is kind of there's certainly D20 level that's sort of the pretenders now but well, it's, uh, I think it's yes. You absolutely, once described. Absolutely. Let me give you. It's like twenty twenty is like 
cheap takeaway food, not even good takeaway food, end quote. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> that's what I got from... Yeah, uh, good, okay. Well, I mean, I think that's probably still... I, look, I mean, it's probably better takeaway food now. I think, it, and it's the type of food that's... Uber just, Eats from yeah, like yeah, some... It's Uber Eats, yeah. But, it's, but it has improved the longer form. But also, I think you you have to look at the, the the technology around. I mean, that's something that doesn't really get spoken about. But you know, the fact that you can score four hundred to win a test on the last day now that that in the past I would argue was virtually impossible because of the nature of the wickets and how they degraded. So to now be still able to bat and score that amount of runs on the last day, for example, to win a test match, that a large part of that, in my view, comes down to the technology and the increase in, in sort of conditions that, or the improvement in conditions around the game, which is which you've got to take your hat off. That's great, um, but it definitely has had an impact, um, yeah. you know. And I think, you know, I just look at the the better batsmen in the world now. You know, back when Viv Richards or Martin Crow, their averages were, you know, if they averaged in the early 40s, they were considered or mid 40s, they were considered great players. Yes. Now people are averaging 55, 60. Yep. You know, um, <clears throat> and I think that. That's got to be down to conditions as much as talent. Um, yes, yeah. no, I'm sure you're right, and and that's right. I mean, even at the technology of the bats and so on, right? I mean, everything's um, your your greatest success. If you think about your, don't be immodest. I mean, if you sort of think <laughs> about your um, cricket career, what would you say? I, I'm I, really proud of. Yeah, that. well, I, I had a big game at Lords early yep. on, and that was that was. Um, but I would consider that as that was like I, I've often said it's like. There's there's a great Charlie Brown quote. What's something like along the lines of, um, you know, there's no heavier, heavier burden in the world than a great potential, and, um, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. you know, and he sort of he's hanging there with his yes. shoulders drooped. And um, uh, but I, uh, that's true as a young sports person. You know, you you make the team, um, and then you've got to get that monkey off your back. Yes. And so that performance for me was was that I got yes. the monkey off my back, and I was like actually. Personally, I realised I belong. I'm good enough, you know. Yes. Um, and so you ride that high, and that gets you in, and everyone accepts you, and the senior players bring you in, and all of a sudden your life changes within that unit, and even against opposition. But um, in terms of you know my the thing I take away from the game would be that tour of '99 when we went to England, and I didn't have that one big performance like that. I had a really great tour, did lots of great things on the tour, but more was part of a successful team that really played to its potential. And I would say if I hadn't had that tour to finish to my book in my career, I don't think I would feel very, that I'd had a very good career. Mm. You know, I think that achievement as a group of players stands out in my mind as something that I, because I feel I was very much part of that. Um, but also, so it sort of got the group out, you know, got us all out sharing and working as a unit and understanding what was required to win which, uh, again, was sort of a sense of getting a monkey off our back, you know. Um, and I think that's the one I take away the most from. Got a significant or biggest regret? or? Oh, yeah, I, I, it's sort of a dual thing. Like, I, I just because of the timing, I, I think I, I liked to play with a sense of... Um, how, would, how would I say it? I, I played with my heart on my sleeve. Yes. Um, and uh, that helped. But it also made me probably make some decisions that around playing slightly injured or trying to play for the team, yes. when, and that that shortened my career. Um, so I think if I if I go back, I would do the same thing again. So I yes. can't change it. But to say that I don't have some regrets around maybe 
being a bit more career focused on having more longevity yeah. in the game. Um, but you can't have both. So, uh, you know, to me, um, that's just a double-edged sword. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah no, it's, a, it's very interesting. Um, you got any current involvement in cricket? I coach, <laughs> coach my 16-year-old son's cricket team, much to his chagrin. Um, and um, I, what else? Um, is he? Is he, Are they any good? Oh, they. I think he's. He, <laughs> Be careful what you yeah, say. Yeah, no. He, he look. He, yeah, both both my sons have got um, some very very much some natural talent at the game. They, but it's sort they, of hope so. Yeah, but they, they the thing that I say to lots of parents is, you know, I think the thing that you that if I defined what was different about me growing up and say when I was growing coming through, that that undefinable character was, I think. So it's sort of an ugly New Zealand word in New Zealand, but ambition, mm. um, you know, unbridled ambition mm. that I maybe doesn't fully describe what it is, but is probably the closest thing I can think of is that's the thing that made me stand out. Like I literally... Was, and do you feel that we're lacking that today? No, I think any player who makes it to the New Zealand team, like Kane Williamson, we might not see it when we look at him, but or, or, or Trent Bolt or there. anybody... The, the thing that got them there is ambition, yes. you know. Like a guy like um, Mitchell, who's the, I would say, who's sort of come from nowhere and got there a little bit later. Oh, you know, he's probably a more visible example to me. That ambition is what got him through and kept them sticking at it. Uh, and there's that drive to get there. And I think that um, when I look at all talented young kids, there's heaps of talented young kids, but probably the defining character, if it's not there, you know, an internal ambition. I'm not talking about parents' ambition. No. My parents had no real ambitions no. for me um, no. to do it. Neither did mine. Yeah, and it was like, I think um, parents' ambition is almost the opposite of what's required. It's got to be all led by Can the kids. Can sometimes get in the way, actually, yes. and make the kids sort of resist it. And it's, um, yeah. I, I, I made the mistake once um, early on in my parliamentary career of in an interview saying that I was ambitious and it stuck around for a couple of years right it, yeah. like it was a terrible thing I mean yes I was ambitious <laughs> you know um it, it it was ultimately why I went to I think I vaguely recall that actually are you I, but I, I it's a dirty word beaten. yeah yes yeah, yeah. you know yeah. you're not allowed to sort of say uh that that even though well, well I and think to me that's a Kiwi character flaw actually I, I would say it comes close to that, yeah. I, I think the other part about it is, which I would not force upon a young person, is if they don't have it to try to force it into them. Because ambition, as I've experienced it, yes. um, is not an easy beast to handle. You yeah. know, it, it doesn't fit well into New Zealand society and growing up and being good-natured and a good team member or doing the right things at the right times in a certain environment, you know, it's actually quite often the thing that drives you to make, to say the thing you shouldn't say or to be abrupt when you should have been more polite or calm. So there's lots of those things which if you are not a character that can withstand some of that beating up or some of that, even if it's just internal beating up, you know, saying the, knowing walking away that you did something really in the wrong thing but it was driven by that internal desire to, for what whatever you're trying to do that you know if you're not strong enough to understand and have those lessons that it's not for you you know well, I think ambition's what keeps you going in the hard times at a level right it's that yeah. sort of as you say internal driving force interesting what you say about parents though right I mean um, of course there are m many if I think about it and I haven't 
prior to this, but significant sporting stars, where look, it was that parental drive, probably like the you know, I mean, they probably had a lot of internal drive as well themselves. But the Williams sisters in tennis, or you know, they were the parents there really pushing it. So it's how are you with your children briefly on that? Are you um, kind of live and let live, do what you want, or are I'm, you like, no, you, I want you at cricket? No, I'm probably terrible. Um, my wife's really good. My wife's got the got it nailed. Um, I'm the shocker because I just I because I wear my heart on my sleeve and I don't and I'm not trying to get my kids to have ambition, but if I see something unfair or if I see another group of parents that I perceive are influencing the game, I can't help but voice that, yep. which can come across as me trying to you know. Yep. But, but but what I see happening and you know quite often is you know there's just you, if, if you're playing a very well organised team of cricket, they'll have, you know, an umpire, a coach, a, a manager, a whole sideline, and you feel like you're playing um, the team plus the the, the entourage, yes. you know, and and things like that. So, you know, it's it's very hard to sit in silence um, and be the um, demure, perfect coach or father. I think yes. in that environment, and I think that happens a lot, not just for me, but for. Most sidelines, you know. Heap of sideline <laughs> parents. Um, final kind of question directly on cricket. Um, and you've sort of answered it when we were talking about, you know, the merits of old school, new school, all that. But, I mean, some general observations on the state of cricket today? I think it's healthy in the sense that the the modern game and its fan base is healthy. Um I think it's lost some connection to its past for me, um, which may just be a moment in time. It might get re-established and, and maybe that's part of it. I think that for me the game still has some evolving to do. I think the people who the, – the game is the sum of its parts and I think at the moment there's a whole lot of batters who had to face the West Indian bowlers in the 80s who are now in charge of cricket and I think you've also got a massive Indian influence and Indian – Indians love batting. That's that's the nature of the game. The cricket is very batting dominated in India, always has been. And I think when you get all of those people making all of the rules and all of the changes, the outcomes aren't that surprising that you've got a very batting dominated game. Yes. Whereas for me, the game, you know, I loved watching the fear. I, I loved watching batters bat for two hours with their life on the line, literally facing the West Indians and overcoming it. You know, it was just courage at its most pure for me. Mm-hmm. And yet watching a fast bowler tear through a side at the same time was just exciting and, and got 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 my blood pumping, you know. So the things that I love that I don't quite see in the game anymore, but I think the game is healthy for sure. I, yeah. I just hope that maybe we can... Sustainable um, more than, um, mm-hmm. and as you say, India's a massive part of that, but um, lost some of the... I don't have quite the right word, but romance or the the the, the, the no the, the the well I mean uh, I I think some of those athletes poetry. out there who really want you know like we want to get fast bowlers bowling and 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 you know those types of athletes back into the game I think um, there, there's a room for improvement but you yeah. you are um, we've already said you, you you I was going to say you're an old bastard that's not fair <laughs> you know but it's been a while but you know in the public eye when you're walking down the street. Um, are you always the famous cricketer? Uh, it's becoming more increasingly awkward because uh, sometimes you're not sure whether people recognise you or they're just um, asking for directions. <laughs> 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 um, no, I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, I th- it, look, it's it's a hard thing to shake, right? What I find now is I'm in business and I'm trying to do other things and my, the things that stimulate me are no longer really in the thing I used to be well known for. I, so I find it, um, it's a little bit but like being the youngest child in a family. You know, you you, you, you can, ne- as you age, you, you're, uh, you, the, um, the impact of your argument never increases uh, with your older siblings because you're still always the youngest, you know, and I think it's the same thing with cricket. I'm always a cricketer first in everyone's eyes, so therefore any knowledge I might have or argument that you bring to the table, I, f- I sometimes feel a little bit like I want to forget about cricket or move on from it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I loved it and I love everything it gave me, um, so I can't, so I just have to... Um, grin and bear it. And Take the good with the bad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, and you know, so I, I'd much rather have it as my, something I did than not. Yeah, I understand the feeling. By the way, I wanted to put something in here that may or may not be relevant to anything <laughs> we discuss. Dion and I are both the youngest of six children, uh, and that's why we are such flawless, <laughs> characterful. <laughs> People of great excellence, or something. Just, I don't know. Just ask our older brothers and sisters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and and it's on that sort of in the public eye thing. How's the cricketing career and profile affected your life today? And let me let me answer it for you, and then you see if I would say, well, it's good with the bad, like you say. In the end, you know, because you've gone on to do these really cool things, and we're going to talk about them. And all credit to you. Um, it's got to have helped that, hasn't it? Because you are Dion Nash. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent, and 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 I think the thing that it, it and it's helped on a couple of levels. One really fundamental level, I think, is I gained my true self confidence from playing a, a sport in an elite level. I, so the the thing that ticked over, you know, and it had that eleven wickets at Lords. Fundamentally, a shift happened internally. And I was just, I I have confidence. Isn't that now. amazing? And and I think through cricket I got that. Um, and that was, you know, when you come from a, a small town in New Zealand, you you really fight your way through every stage to get all the way through. Even just coming to school in Auckland, you know, you had to, I had to overcome the, the big deal. Everything's a big deal. Everything's a new big experience. And so that uh, um, <clears throat> having that on the international stage, I think really was a fundamental shift I, and I think having played a career and then stepping out of that and having renown and you know people who follow cricket know me and um, acknowledge that success um, just gave me a level of confidence which meant that I thought I could try other things, I could pick up and ask people, um, I could approach people, um, all those types of things and I think that fundamental thing which I probably would never have had without cricket you know like I might have earned them in another way somehow or, or arrived there I don't know that's just my journey was through that to get to the, that level of self-confidence but I think um that's fundamental I, I couldn't have had without cricket not the way I've got you got it. you got confidence I, I would suggest the other thing you got which I'll acknowledge probably against my own interest to say this but you know if I think about my political career and you know what it does do one way or another is sort of for a time makes you a household name for good or bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> As it does give you access, right? Yes. So I know with reasonable confidence, if I ring up X yeah. or Y, they're going to see me. Yeah. They may not want to, but they will see me because in the end, yeah. I don't know, it's a thing there, right? And and I presume that's 
for you and your business, that's also true. It's like, well, hey, oh, it's Dion Mash. That's a yep. bit interesting. Yeah, yeah, remember yep. Dion? Yep. Remember that amazing sort of um, go at Lords and, yep. you know, da 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 da. So is that fair? Yes, yeah, it is. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and, I'm grateful for it, you know. I think I and I think I the only thing I would say is I I think there's a saying in cricket, you know, play a, a cavalier player when I was growing up. They, they, he was a millionaire cricketer, and what that meant was he he had a million dollars in the bank, so he didn't care whether he got out or not, you know. Yeah. Um. So that cavalier, and I think that the thing I would say is I if I could impart any knowledge or any advice is like I think that's the only way to play. Yeah. Um. You know, and yeah. and not just in cricket. I mean, just generally. Yes. And so that gives you that false confidence almost to go yes. and just approach your own because it's no different, right? And if they can only say no. Um, totally right. Yeah. Um. Are you forced to think about cricket every day because you're Dion Nash? No, no. I'm forced to think about how to make my business survive yep. and thrive. That's what ultimately all day every day now is that I, if I have a nightmare once about once every six months it's usually a cricket nightmare of like shit I should have got more wickets you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like how did I not average more you know it's like those types of things but that's I've, they've, they've waned they used to they they used to be more regular they, they've started to subside now now it's more about P&Ls and spreadsheets yeah. fantastic well, how sexy is that <laughs> well it is because there's money attached to it at the end <laughs> Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? Yeah, what? They don't regulate soccer. I'm sorry. There's a sport that regulates soccer? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. You're now a really successful entrepreneur. I want to talk to that final sort of, in a sense, cricket-related question that's not a cricket-related question on that, though, is do people now come up to you and say, oh, oh, it's Dion Nash, you know, um, triumph and disaster. That's, that's, that's who Dion Nash is. Yes, yeah, that definitely, definitely. And I, I, it's funny, I worked with um, Jeff Ross at 42 Below. Mm. Uh, that was sort of my intro into business, I think, and those guys, think, Grant Baker and those guys. And I always remember when when Jeff sold his business, um, you know, one of the things I remember we I mean, we had obviously lots of drinks and things at different times when he sold it because you know there's, it was quite a long drawn out sales process. Too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, and so I remember being out with him and not sort of saying, you know, why did you sell it? You know, like it's such a you know good brand. And and he goes, oh, I, I sort of just got sick of being the vodka guy. You know, um, and it was like sort of like I always remember that and thinking, yeah. The, but whatever you do, and I guess more the more high, high profile you 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 make it, and I've used my profile early on, particularly with Triumph Disaster, to get it out there. So again, I, I don't I'm not complaining, but you do you just become the vodka guy or the skincare guy or the cricketer, and um, you know I think that's part and parcel of it. But um, internally, I, I guess you you have to just accept that and smile with it rather than fight it because you can't do anything about it. And in terms of your job history, you're obviously 
you know, the, the entrepreneurial things. So there was spring water, you've been Charlie's. I'm taking it, I, I, I could be wrong on this, you didn't have ownership stakes in those, you were a worker bee. Yeah, no, so the with 42 Below, I um, I met, a, met Shane um, and was one of the partners, and I, met, I went to the same gym as him, and I remember being in Friday afternoon, and I'd just retired from cricket recently, and I was working in a bit of, doing a bit of media, working for TV3, doing some stuff, and I was in a little bit of a loose end, basically unemployed, and um, I was in this gym, and um, I, I ran to, to Shane, who was one of the partners, and I, he, he goes, oh, what are you doing? And I, my father had found a spring on his farm up north, you know, like this little spring water thing. So I said, oh, I'm going to do spring water. And he goes, oh, we want to do spring water. We we sell vodka into bars. You should come and talk to us. And he said, why don't you bring your business plan in on Monday? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries, Shane. I'll see you Monday. <laughs> And I was like, went home and spit the bed and I was like, shit, what's a business plan? It had to write this thing over, uh, you know, over the weekend. Anyway, turn up to this meeting with Shane on Monday and walk in and um, hand it over. He takes, he sort of flicks through the three or four pages and takes one along and goes, okay, well, why don't we start again? And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then you can come and meet the guys. Well, at least you try. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, um, so, so they were very generous actually. So we set up a water business with 42 Below and I, had 25% stake of that business. Right. Um, and I, obviously I bought some shares into 42 Below and and, and that, that was Business 101. It was a, it was a great entree. And so Learned you talk about access. That was access to business entrepreneurs in the moment doing it, you know. And so that was like, I was just like a sponge. I walked into those, you know, offices and rooms. And it was like, it was sexy on the outside and totally unsexy on the inside. You know, old offices, three mm. to a room, you mm. know, just you know, you know, everyone going for it, and it was so stimulating though. You know, like I, I remember sitting in the room with a guy, Mark Richardson, um, and Todd Graydon. So Mark Richardson, not the not the cricketer, but another guy, Mark Richardson, and they were just these these hardcore sales guys. And I remember sitting in there, and by ten o'clock on any given day, they'd come up with five or six business ideas. You know, it was just that this environment of like young entrepreneurial guys trying stuff. And both of those guys are now out doing their own thing. You know, They're very successful guys in their own right. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so it was a great environment to come from sport, where I, and I always say in sport, the difference in sport is everything comes to you once you're well known. So you're not, and if anything, you're creating a barrier to stop people get to you, so that yes. you can maintain a, a mental space. You yes. Know? Um, whereas in business, it's sort of the opposite. Nothing comes to you. You've got to go and get everything. So you're out. It's a really interesting observation. Yeah. And so cha- breaking that down was really hard. And what the Forty Two Below guys did is they put me on corporate sales for four months leading to Christmas. And I never, if you ever want to have your pride broken, <laughs> go and try selling 12 bottles of vodka to a guy in a corporate in South Auckland somewhere or, or on the North Shore who didn't really think much of you when you played cricket anyway. But now he's got, <laughs> now he's managed to get you sitting opposite the room and, and he can say yes or no to the 12 bottles of vodka. And so, you know, you do your 15 minute pitch and then he, at the end of it, he goes, you know what? Nah. <laughs> and so it was just like this really hardcore sales lesson of like shit that's this is not easy had you done any business prior to getting into that game no 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 i think in sport what you pick up is brand and marketing yes. i think that side just you, yes. you get a lot of that but the the sales side the opposite of it and if there hadn't been cricket for you do you reckon you would have inevitably gone into business, or do you think that sort of just kind of? I mean, what were we? Or was it going to be Mr. Nash, school teacher? 
I was social studies. The, uh, the things I was good at, I was I was good at writing, so English and art and sport. Yep. So I would have been maybe journalism, maybe you know flunked out artist. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not business. I don't think. I, I, my father, um, you know, he, we had uh, his sawmill and farm, and so right. dad was a hard working. Yep. You know, sold to the sold earth. Of the earth, Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, so backbone I, of the economy. I had to. I remember I used to have to go and work in the sawmill, so I knew that wasn't my future. That's for sure. I was like, I did that from about fifteen through to about eighteen. And I was like, man, just get me the hell out of here. <laughs> How triumph and disaster come about? Uh, it came about through because I, I after forty two below, I stayed on with Bacardi. They bought it, so I did three years with the guys, and then they sold to Bacardi. Then I stayed on and became in, in, through. So, so sort of various degrees of sort of subterfuge and, and BS, I managed to become the marketing director um, under Bacardi, right? I remember sitting in a room in Miami with all these heads of marketing for the different brands under Bacardi and they'd all had double MBAs, you know, and stuff. And I was going around and I, I, had, an M, I had a BA <laughs> in art history and I was like, I just remember thinking, please don't ask, please don't ask <laughs> where, where, where my MBA's from. I was, I was managing, managing, thinking I'd just, <laughs> I'd just you know, slur my Kiwi accent and be a BA art history or something, you know. Um, but um, so it was definitely I had a role I probably didn't. Did they have any? I mean, but you know, you top cricketer. That did that mean anything to them? So I they had to sort of. I I don't know. Could they they, Google you back then? Yeah, no, they could Google me, and that. But that often it's amazing how often they'd call me an All Black, which was I I didn't correct. (laughs) 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 So so yeah. So but um but yeah. Anyway, so going from there, I basically what happened was after four years they asked me to move to London, and I'd literally I'd actually virtually signed a contract I'd moved to London found a flat and I just thought oh you know what this is history repeating I, I can't move a young family and everyone up to London and I'll be just on a plane the whole time flying all around the world you know and it was and you know Bernie will be left here with a young family and it just felt like I there was it wasn't the right next move and I so we just decided to to take redundancy and start, and so that was sort of the first step. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do? The only thing that really scares me is starting my own business. So I just thought, well, <clears throat> what have I got at some sort of a competitive advantage uh, about? And I, the last meeting I had in Miami um, was sitting with our agency, and there's this young dude with a arm tattoo and you know waistcoat on, sort of slipped over here, and he, I remember he pulled out like a hand cream woman's hand cream in the thing and was kept putting his hand cream on. I was thinking, oh, it's weird, you know, and, you know. Flew home on the plane and the whole way home I was thinking, I use moisturiser, you know, like, and not many guys use moisturiser. And the reason I use moisturiser is because of cricket, you know, because they're in the sun all the time. Yep. You know, I remember I discovered oil of ole. My mother had this pot of pink pot of oil of ole. I remember nearly getting caught when I was about 20 playing for Otago when I was at uni. I was playing and Ken Rutherford, who... I, I was, in my head was this really old man, but he must have been like thirty-two, <laughs> you know. And um, he and he's a but he's a bat thrower and a bit of a tantrum thrower. So he was he, we'd been fielding all day, and at Carisbrook, the old stands, you couldn't see the pitch. So I was up in the dressing room having bowled, and Ken gets out early. So after a long day, anyway, I'm had my shower and I'm putting my moisturizer on after the shower, just as the dressing room door swings open his back goes flying across the room and Ken just takes one look at me as I'm sort of mid downstroke on this moisturiser application and he's like looks at me and I'm like oh no this is going to be so bad 
And he just goes, why are you putting sunscreen on at this time of day? You know, in this really angry voice. And I was like, oh, yeah, never t- never be too safe, Ken. Um, and, um, but it was so far out of his frame of reference that you could put sunscreen, moisturiser on, you know, that Kiwi back then that it was like it wasn't even a possibility so I got away with it but I remember that those sort of thoughts and that and those challenges I had with using it I thought well those are all relevant to why men aren't using it now Um, and so I thought well shit there's an opportunity here you know to create something that if Ken Rutherford did catch me using it it wouldn't be the end of the world it wouldn't be embarrassing and so I started thinking about those things and then I thought well my granddad used to have all these Rawley's creams and pots and lotions, which I thought were cool. I remember finding yeah. them. And yeah. I thought, well, maybe if I make something like a bit more old school that that I'd like to collect, it might be a thing. And to state the obvious, we're talking men's um, skin care fundamentally. Um, do you think, just listening to you then, were you a, um, were you a trailblazer? I mean, you, I mean, I'm not trying to, to take the mickey here. I'm just trying. Were you, you know, because was there not a lot going on? Do you think? You know, I, I think I think that I was, um, and you, you, and and in a way, did you create a market? I think I was practical first. So back when just using it because you'd get stuck in a Nor'easter in Christchurch, I'd use. I just thought I'd feel better if I use moisturiser afterwards, and you know that was a, just totally practical. In terms of starting the brand, I think I just. You know, by that stage, there was a term metrosexual, which was floating around. If you guys, the are you a metrosexual? Well, no, I hated that term. See, that was the thing. It was like just felt icky, right? It didn't feel right. It's like what? What is metrosexual? It doesn't mean, doesn't mean, I'm just a guy, and I like to have not feel like my skin's feeling good. That's all. That's not what. What does that equate to? You know, I like playing sport and all sorts of things. Sort of. Do you think that's still there? There's still is there still a real men don't wear? No, I think that's. Completely broken down. No, yes. I think I think now it's next level. Now I yeah, mean, you, yeah. you, we need to, you know, getting rid of every piece of body hair on their face and yeah, doing yeah, this, tot- that, and seventeen yeah, other yeah. things. Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, I actually, weirdly enough, I think um, you know, people out men our age like were the first to adopt Triumph and Disaster. So when, I'm talking ten years ago now, but you know, wives and partners would buy it for their. Um, husbands or boyfriends or whatever and you'd get all these emails from like builders or farmers and they go my wife just paid 60 bucks for a blimmin' some moisturizer and then you get this grumpy sort of reading e- email and then in the end it'd go but i'm i love it now i need a new pot where do i go <laughs> <laughs> and today you're big right it's my sense of it it's pretty quite a big company oh well no we're still on this on this we're still what you'd call a small business enterprise you know we but we've got distributors and uh, Germany, um, we've got one in um, uh, UK, one in the US, one in Canada, one in uh, Australia. So, and then we've got our own business where we go direct here, um, and we're online. So we've got five websites. So, I mean, some of your fancy stores you're in. Yeah. So, so we've um, you know Selfridges in the UK. Um, we've um, we've been in Nordstrom. We're not in there at the moment actually, but that there's well, COVID has sort of hit a few different things. So in the US, but we were in. Um, like things like Holt Renfrew in Canada and, um, you know, Smith and Coe's in New Zealand and Farmers and, um, you know, Barker's menswear, things like that. So there's some really good sort of stores with really great people selling it and, and understanding it and sort of those over time, I think what you realise is 
uh, you know, those are not just retail accounts, they're sort of partners, you know, and if you don't treat them that way, um, you know, you come and go. And so I think that's been a big learning over time is, you know, getting a store is, is one thing, staying in there and making it work and, and keeping that relationship healthy is a, is a whole other thing. And be, I'm not suggesting you wouldn't be, but be honest, have a think about this. Are you <laughs> working hard, going at it, still trying to grow and grow and grow, or have you got middle age and you're kind of just <laughs> cruising and it's all right and, you know, you do enough to do well enough, but that's, where, yeah. where do you think you're at? I have to. F- I, th- I think middle-aged um, is a real thing, but I'm my ambition um, to complete this pro- this business is is still there, you know, and it drives me along. Um, and I think the COVID two years of COVID and now the challenging headwinds right now, it's a very stimulating time to be owning a business. Like there are no certainties ahead, and as tough and stressful as what it is and has been for two years and is going to be at least for another 12 months, I've, I'm finding myself super stimulated at the moment and trying to make sure that I my business survives and thrives coming out of it. You know, ultimately, you know, I'd love to sell my business, you know, build it up and sell it and make some money. That would be the, I guess, the tick of success at the end of it. Well, that's Kiwi's disease, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so then it'll be foreign owned and, <laughs> well, you know, and well, we've maybe. just, you've got the boat, the batch and the beamer and you're okay, but well, well, what have maybe, you done for New Zealand, oh, Dion? Yeah, I know. Well, that, that will be levelled. I, I don't mind having that, that levelled. If that was to happen, that, I'll, I'll take that criticism <laughs> where would the, on the Where chin. would the batch be? Uh, well, Northland. I'm a Northland boy. Yeah, cool. yeah no, I can't. I can't even bring myself to go to the Coromandel anymore. So, um, <laughs> does it feel like betrayal? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I can, I'm actually on that in reverse. Yeah, right. Yeah. To me, it actually has to be the Coromandel. No, just I'm so North, sort of I, I can't even go. Yeah, just what's the beaches on the west coast? Pihar North, basically, is is in both sides. Yeah, that's you know, your I don't like. I for a while, I even felt like I was cheating if I went to the east coast of Northland, but I've yes. got over that. So yeah. yes, yeah. you are married to Bernice Minnie. Now she's, of course, also. Um, a household name, a netballing great. How, I mean, how did you get together? And and I suppose my question really that I'm interested in is, presumably what's going on here is it takes one to know one, right? You both had this unique experience of being elite sports people with profile and pressure. I mean, is that, is, I presume that's how you met and that's what kept you to, I mean, there were, hopefully there was some chemistry, but you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean... <clears throat> I, well, we met in a um, in 1999. I'd come home from India injured again, so I was feeling down in the dumps. It was my, I think it was my 28th birthday, and I was out with my niece and my sister, so I was having a real hellraiser, you know. <laughs> and I, I ran into a mate who owned a restaurant, and he said, and he was like, looked at me, and he's like, "Oh, mate, we got to do something better. Come to my restaurant um, for dinner." So I was like, "Okay." So we went around to this restaurant. And um, we got sat about two tables away from Benice and um, a few other netballers who were having a debrief after they'd lost the world champs in 99, which, of course, none of which I knew. But it was one of those awkward things where someone that you knew but you didn't know was sitting very close to where you were. And and obviously we were looking across and, you know, sort of seeing, not, not flirting per se, but just that awkward sort of thing. So... To break the ice in the end, I got what I did is I got up and got a tray of tequila and walked over and said, oh, hard luck for world champs girls, you know, and I put the tequila down on the table. And as Bernie tells the story, 
uh, one of the girls goes, uh, Bernie thought in her head, I think that's Dion Nash, and then one of the other girls goes, that's Dion Nash, and then the, the third one goes, who? <laughs> and so, so apparently I made a, a, you know, a limited uh, splash, but the tequila went down well anyway. It's a sad truth that's true for my relationship, my wife as well. Alcohol seems to always be involved at the start. <laughs> it's just one of those sort of things. Um, do you two still do, I mean, do you sport together? Or is that not yep. really? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we know we love, we definitely um, very active. Bernie's super competitive, as you can imagine. Um, so mainly the sports now tend to be the, what the, ever the kids are playing. So we yes. do a fair bit of football and um, and basketball's the big one because all three kids play basketball. So that quite often can end in tears, actually, because um, depending. So, but what we're being slowly overrun is what's happening. So we're losing more and more and it. I used to win all the sprints, but I'm now, I'm now finding I'm ending up about fourth. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> is, is one of you the more complete sports person? Uh, oh, tough <laughs> question. Showers. There's no right answer here. No, right? and um, look, I so well. What I how, how I would answer that by I implore my children to have my wife's grace in winning and losing. Um, and maybe um, your sheer ambition and aggression—that's <laughs> right, maybe. But no, um, I mean, Bernie's an awesome athlete; like she really is. So I would never say that I was, uh, uh, you know, more more athletic. But no, Bernie, Bernie was—I think she still, well, until recently anyway, held quite a few Canterbury yeah. records in oh, athletics and things. So oh no, look, and as I say, at the time. Massive, um, and you've got three kids. We've talked a bit about their sports. I mean, one other thing I was interested in. I presume that you know you two there, sports is in the genes. I mean, if you just take Bernie, right? Um, her mum was Commonwealth game athlete. Dad was basketballer. Brothers, you know, a discus athlete. Um, so. Like on that basis, I suppose what I'm saying without putting pressure, maybe your kids shouldn't listen to this podcast, not that they would anyway, but you never know. You know they might be generally famous at a regular time. This is, um, are they, is, it, is it fundamentally now in the genes and it's kind of like natural nurture? You, you guys actually don't need to do anything. They are just, given your genes, going to be great sports people. Um, no, they, they, they are all coordinated and they all have an instinct for sport no question that I think it comes back to what do they want to do I think um, they are they are actually all quite academic hmm. um, which is a probably a, quite possibly an issue <laughs> um, I well, think in terms of their sportsmanship <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, will, it will interfere yes it will it will it definitely will and I think um, I think there's um there's a bloody mindedness that needs to be the come with um, almost a, a one-dimensional nature that you need to really cut through in sport, I think. Which Are I you basically saying you've been too good at parents? Oh, and and I, I, didn't, I wasn't reading it that way. Am I still flattering myself? Possibly. No, I mean, uh, just they've, they've had a nice um, family balanced background. I think they I, don't have chips on their shoulder. They're not going out there, I'm going to score I a six. I definitely think they don't have chips on their shoulder, which I did hugely. And I think that sometimes worries me. Do you need a chip on your shoulder to be successful in sport? Possibly not. You definitely need ambition. Is being well-rounded and brought up in a comfortable environment and an asset or I I can only speak, I think that it, it 
can make I, th- I always say to my kids there's some hungry young kid from Northland out there who's going to chop you up you know if you don't play hard and, and get involved here so I think that probably internally that's how because that was my upbringing and, and I, I think that drive and toughness quite often does come from provincial and slightly not not hard upbringing per se but maybe more independent style upbringing yeah. you know? whereas I think when you live in a big city and you go to good local you schools well, you're nurtured, you get driven, you know, when it's raining, your mum drives you to school, yes. you know, all those types of Not things. Not in our day. We walk with bare feet. <laughs> we were lucky if we had rocks in our lunch boxes for lunch. The, the only thing I maybe got a, is... I got a Big Ben pie once a year. Once a year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was gone in about eight seconds. Yeah. Did you pe- peel the top off and put potato chips in the top? And that oh, no, that'd be quite good, though. They were quite, yeah, there was, there was a way to eat certain pies. Big Ben's, I think, quite often need a little bit extra put in them. Um, I, I haven't even checked this, but I presume Bernie is someone. Yes. Yep. Um, what's give me run? So what I know is you both grew up Catholic, um, and that's why you know be such big families. Um, <laughs> my, my parents weren't Catholic, so I don't know what their excuse was. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I'm what I'm interested is you know so it's cross cultural, and you know you was was it all right you being a parlangi in the. Mene Fano or was yeah it? no to- totally um yeah no to- Kirity, to- totally Kirity at Christmas that's what it's called isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah Christmasy um what, what yeah I mean I think that um maybe if anything I th- I remember my um that there's a gifting of the mats um you know the the fine mats um which happened and I remember. Um, my father making some sort of awkward speech that that pushed, <laughs> pushed up against you know the idea of marrying someone from a different race, and I remember he was trying his best not to come across as a white sort of like middle class middle aged middle class male, but that's exactly what he achieved. He was the great but, greatest but, white middle class male of his generation. <laughs> but I remember, but but there was definitely no you know no 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 question that it was a good thing and yeah, it was yeah. all all good but yeah i mean i think there was definitely learnings um from more more probably from my family side i think and still i'm the closest to probably understanding Samoan culture with you know my brothers and sisters don't probably understand some of it i think they were very respectful of it um but even me marrying it with bernie like you know i'm i will never fully understand someone culture because I'm just not brought up in it we don't live in it um and so where'd she grow up um, at Auckland she, no she's Christchurch right yeah so um so and and you know she would probably say that in, growing up in Christchurch she's one step you know she, yes. they went back to the sure. islands often but like um you know she's probably one step removed as well so it, but no it's great we love it Fantastic. Um, quick fire. So there's things I'm I, I, in my very thorough due diligence on you. These are some things I'm interested in. When are the Camel Toes playing next? Camel Toes is my um, well, that's my band that I with Jeff Ross and uh, a few of an mates. Enti- Craig Innes. Not we, an entirely appropriate name. <laughs> well, actually, we we played our biggest gig was at the Town Hall when there's a 50 years anniversary of the Beatles, and um, they wouldn't print our name, the name of our band, on the um, flyers to promote this Town Hall gig. Because um, there's all these other bands, you know, like um, you know, crowd, someone not crowded, oh, no, no, split in, no, never heard of them. Anyway, they were on they? there, but um, so they we they wouldn't print the name, so they called us the Jeff Ross Experience. So you can imagine that that was the start. What does he, of the, what does he play? Oh, exactly, exactly. A question, a very good question. <laughs> but, and um, you're a guitarist, yeah, and so is Jeff. Apparently, although 
there's a little bit of debate about whose amp should be loudest. And Craig Innes, Posty Innes on the drums. So there's no, uh, there's no greater feeling in the world than turning around and seeing a second, the All Black Second Five bashing away on the drums behind you. So... Um, no, and we don't play much anymore, but the, it was the, fun. The, the, the genre, I, I feel, <laughs> is, is sort of, I, someone, I saw some post-punk. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we were trying to, we came up, we did write, um, we wrote a press release, Simon, so when we, <laughs> and I think on there it was like post-punk, pre-new romantic psychedelic rock, I think, something like those, somewhere along those lines, Co which gave us enough scope to really screw up the songs that we were Come playing. back to her? <laughs> maybe, Camel maybe. Toast, come back. Uh, yeah. Tell me about Jim Morrison. Uh, Jim Morrison, well, it's a very sad story. Jim Morrison was our cat of 16 years, and he literally passed away last month. Um, and he is um, a very, very much a part of the family and it, the coolest cat of all time. But he passed away. This is the manner in which he came in. We, we knew he was sort of getting old, and he came into a lounge. We were all sitting upstairs one day, and he, not that long ago, and he walked around. He sat on everyone's lap. Um, my oldest son said, Dad, Jim's not well. There's something not right. And, lay, and Jim jumped down onto the floor in the middle of us. My oldest son lay beside him for about 10 minutes. 10 minutes later, he was dead. Oh. And he died right in front of us with the whole family there. And he, he'd gone around everyone, almost like he was saying goodbye. So it was uh, very traumatic. We, I think you know, they do. I think they know. It's quite amazing. You get a new cat or? No, we can't bring ourselves to even discuss no, that. there is you know. only one. Yeah, yeah, there's only one Jim, Jim. Morrison. Yeah. Um, what's the Queen Street Club, uh, Cricket Club? Uh, so that's uh, Queen's Cricket Club is a, a group of um, guys who have set up a, it's a charity really. So they mm. raise money for every black cap who gets a duck. Um, you know the members put in X amount of money for each duck. So right, uh, and then they raise it and then they give it back uh, to good causes, schools. You know. And you're part coaching. of that. Um, I'm a member of the club. Um, probably added a bit of money as well through getting ducks in, the, in my time. But they have been very good to us because they helped me raise some money to build um, some nets at our my son's school. So we had to mm. nets don't come cheap these days. So mm. um, uh, I took it on myself to raise some money to get these new nets, and then um, they had to go out and sort of big steal and borrow. But the Queen Street Cricket Club were just amazing, These um, and they just came on board and, and backed it, basically. I'm going to wrap up with some questions I ask every guest. We call it general knowledge. <laughs> What's the best night out you've ever had? Uh, the best night out going to, well, apart from when I met my wife, yes. uh, uh, the other one would be the Pearl Jam concert in 1993 or two at, at the Super Top. It was the first time they came out here. I was there. It was amazing. Is this where, let me just, I bet it, it would have been there because it would have been about the time when I would have gone because it was yeah. still at school. Yeah. Um, was with Neil Finn part yes, of that? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they came out and yeah. played. Yeah, yeah. No, I was yeah. there. These Neil are fantastic. Neil and Tim But so why was that so good? Oh, well, I, so I, well, I was just started playing for New Zealand, so I had a little, I was just a little bit, but I remember getting, cutting through with no, you know, no shirt on, getting right to the front of the mosh pit, just as Eddie Vedder took this big slug of red wine out of this sort of cask and sprayed it all over the crowd, and I managed to get some in my mouth, and I was thinking, yes, I've, I've, I've made, made it, like and um, so it was like one of those sounds like times a holy experience. <laughs> it was, it was. I remember the Chili Peppers around that time, and they had fire coming out of their helmets. I mean, that was an amazing, <laughs> the Blood Sugar Sex Magic concert. Um, anyway, not to um. 
not to um, not to name drop too much. Actually, Nirvana at the town hall. Did you go? You How amazing came, is that? Did you go to Nirvana at the town hall? You're joking. Uh, very young. Anyway, that was just before they they were just about to blow up right then. That that was their last tour before they became. Massive. Yeah, I was yeah, a young lad, so I'm just trying to sort of emphasize how cool I Mate, am because these people cool. who are under that 20 what? in the room, right? <laughs> they they will be they will be impressed by that. What's the best advice you've given, have been given, and who gave it to you? Uh, be your own best coach. Um, and um, oh my gosh, I'm just Harold Whitcomb was a, was the man, um, and he was Martin Crow's batting coach, or an old guy who'd coached Martin mm. Crow. And I met him when I was about 14 or 15 and I'd come down from Northland and I had this one-hour session with this guy who was this, considered this guru in Eden Park. And I remember it really clearly at the end of this sort of hour with this guru, which was you know pretty good, and he said, he said you can play, there's no dramas there, but all I can say to you is, in the end, be your own best coach. And he said, lots of people will give you advice through your career. Um, but the only person that's there throughout is you, and you need to be able to choose which advice to keep and which advice to throw away. And I've always remembered, it, and I think it's truer now than ever, you know, in every aspect. Absolutely. And look, I do like to end on a serious note. If you could be any animal, <laughs> what would it be and why? <laughs> I, I'd like to be, well, <laughs> I don't know. Cats are pretty cool. You know, Jim Morrison reincarnated or, or, a, or a wolf. I think I'd need to have a some wolf. sort of predatory nature to wolf myself. Wolf spirit. I yeah. see that in you. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd, I think the I think wolves are slightly misunderstood as well, aren't they? <laughs> exactly. Dion Nash, it has been a great pleasure. You're not just a famous cricketer. Um, you're a skincare guru, <laughs> possibly a metrosexual, a renaissance man. Um, and uh, it's been great to have you on the show. You've been listening to Generally Famous. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generally famous, wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Go on, it's really quick and easy. I'd love to hear from you. Send your feedback to generallyfamous at stuff.co.nz. Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, the Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.